1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I am Jenny Lee from the University of Arizona. Today, our guest is Dr. Joshua Mostel, who's the editor of a recent volume, An Isemonogatari Reader, Contexts and Receptions. Dr. Mostel is a professor of Premodern Japanese Literature and Art at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. So this volume is a part of Braille's Japanese Studies Lit Library series. It contains 11 chapters written by scholars from North North America and Japan. From perspectives of historical context and later reception, this volume is a systematical study of the Isemonogatari, or the Tale of Ise, one of the most well-known classic tales in Japan. Um, so welcome, Dr. Mossel. It's really great to have you on our channel today.
0: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I should just say quickly that the authors come from the US, Japan, Canada, and Europe. Well, actually, England, I guess the UK doesn't count as part of Europe anymore. But
1: Oh, yeah, I suppose that's quite true. <laughs> <laughs> so you have written so much about the tales of Issa in the past and many other topics like pre-modern poetry and narratives and visual materials. So after all these years, do you still remember how you first got interested in Japanese studies and especially in pre-modern Japanese literature?
0: Hmm, Japanese studies, uh, I grew up in Southern California, uh, and this was a time when there were a number of uh, Japanese families uh, connected with Japanese industries who had children in school. Uh, And so I had, I had classmates who were from Japan Um, and there was uh, some history of interest in Japan, if you can call it that um, through my father, who actually very briefly was uh, learned, studied Japanese and military intelligence during the second world war. Um, But for me, it, it actually, you know, this was the seventies. So, uh, uh, I was quite interested in, in Asian religion. Uh, I was talking to a colleague who just retired, and we both talked about how our introduction to Asian religion was reading the Christopher Isherwood and Swami Prabhavananda translation of the Bhagavad Gita when we were in middle school. We were in junior high school. So that started my interest, uh, interest in Buddhism, in Hinduism, went to Buddhism, then from Buddhism to specifically Buddhist aesthetics, theories of, of beauty in Buddhist thinking, and then that morphed into more just art and literature. Uh, my my first interest in poetry, which is I think what I specialize in the most in some ways, uh, was the Ma- Man'yoshu in the uh, Peterson translation, which started being published in Holland in about nineteen nineteen, and is. 20 volumes, very linguistic, uh, but it was great raw material to try translating.
1: Well, that is that is fascinating to hear that you started um, getting interested in Japanese literature through my Yoshu. I don't think I hear that a lot.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, and yet and yet I don't do Nara period literature at all. So that's the way things go.
1: Yeah, it is, I suppose. Now, this tale of Ise itself, it's it's such a famous work. But the studies in this volume extend beyond the original text. So for our listeners who might not be so familiar with the Ise, what is it about? And what else are there that were based on Ise?
0: So, as we have it today, the Ise Monogatari is a collection of 125 relatively discrete episodes, short episodes, that always include a poem, often an exchange of poems, often an exchange of poems between a man and a woman. Uh, it seems to have uh, had its original conception in writings of someone named Ariwara no Narihira. Who died in 880 and was the son of an emperor, though reduced to commoner status. Um, and some version, an urtext of the isei, uh, was used both for uh, the, the current isei monogatari and also for the Kokingshu, the Kokin Wakashu, the first imperial anthology uh, put together or ordered in, in 905.
1: And um, how was it used in other types of materials? I mean, in the book and in your other articles even, you, you mentioned how it was um, borrowed to make painting scrolls. It inspired other kinds of tales. Are there some examples of these works?
0: Well, the, the biggest influence it had, of course, was on the Genji Monogatari, the tale of Genji, and uh, three of the essays in the collection uh, discuss that uh, essays by Imanishi Uichiro, Gotō Shōko, Shoko, and uh, Takahashi Toru. So that that's kind of the inescapable subject that is very hard to to get out of the way to talk about anything else. Uh, but then, as I think we'll talk about maybe a little later, it had a big influence on no theater, and uh, then in the early modern period. Uh, you know, it's it the the canon of classical Japanese literature is three works. It's the Kokinshu, the Isei Monogatari, and the Genji Monogatari. And and that's it. Um uh, and the Genji is very long and complicated. So in a way, the the real basis is the Hyakuni ishu and I mean I'm sorry, the, the Kokinshu and, and the Isei Monogatari.
1: Interesting, and I hear a lot of people describing this tale of Ise as the pre-modern Japanese version of Don Juan. Would you agree with that?
0: Hmm. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm not well versed enough on uh, what people mean when they talk about Don Juan to to uh, to really answer that. I there it, it, there is clearly this. You know, what's called Irogonomi, this this ladies' man, lascivious uh, sort of ideal uh, that is represented both by Narihira and Prince Genji. Um, You know, whether, how how much that corresponds to any European ladies' man.
1: And um, let's begin by talking about the historical context of this tale. So when The Tale of Ise was made, what was written, what was the background like? And what other Monogatari works were out there? How is The Tale of Ise situated among all these works?
0: Yeah, you know, I was very interested in you asking that question because, um, you know, when you think of, well, so what in Japanese literature precedes the Ise? the answer is surprisingly little. There's the manyoshu, maybe the taketori monogatari, the tale of the bamboo cutter. And that's it, right? If if the Ur text is also uh, one of the sources for the kokinshu, and the kokinshu is 905, there is not a lot before that. The utsuho monogatari is after that. Virtually everything is after that. So the real background is actually Chinese literature. Um, things like the Yoshanku, the uh the dwelling of the playful goddesses, or uh, the uh, what's called the Gyokudai Shin a, the Yutai uh, Shin Yong, the New Tales of uh, the World, and also the New Songs of the Jade Terrace, uh, the kind of uh, palace poetry. So, or the Ying the the story of Yingying, Yingying Ying Den. Uh, and so uh, Yamamoto Tokoro uh, talks about these in his chapter somewhat. So those were the continental influences, the early Tong short fiction, that were influencing people like Narihira, uh, and had already uh, the you know already to some extent influenced the Man'yoshu. So so there's not a whole lot there beforehand. Uh, the the essay is categorized traditionally as an Uta Monogatari, a poem tale, uh, in contrast to a Tsukuri Monogatari, uh, a a made-up tale, which means actually just a more substantial one, like the Utsuho or the Genji. Uh, But again, all those are subsequent. The the genre Uta Monogatari is actually created in the Meiji period. And the Isei bears resemble well, bears relationship to other works from the, let's say, 10th century, like the Ise-niki, the, the the Diary of Lady Ise, not to be confused with the Ise-monogatari, or the takamitsu Nikki, uh, or even the Gosenshu, the, the Second Imperial Anthology, which has a very narrative element in a lot of its uh, headnotes to its poems.
1: Now, this name of this our protagonist, Adiwala no Narihira, has come up a lot. Who is this person, according to materials from his time?
0: Well, so he's the uh, grandson of Prince Abo, whose name is sometimes, unfortunately, in earlier documents, uh, pronounced Aho, which means idiot, but I don't think that's what they mean. Um, and so... Uh, Prince Abo got caught up in uh, the Kusuko affair. This was uh, an attempt to put uh, an emperor who had retired back onto the throne. Uh, Cusco was his consort, um, and they failed. And uh, so that whole branch of the family got removed from the imperial household, got reduced to uh, commoner status, which is why Narihira has a surname because the imperial family doesn't have a surname. So he becomes an Adiwara. Um, and uh, the way it's told in the essay, which is, uh, we have one essay that particularly looks at to what extent the way the story is told in the Ise has correspondence with reality. But uh, as it's presented in the essay. Uh, Narihira is part of a kind of salon that surrounds Imperial Prince Koretaka, who was the eldest son of the reigning monarch, and therefore not necessarily, but most likely to become the crown prince and the next emperor, associated with the Adiwada clan and the Ki clan, um, and yet was displaced by a much younger brother uh, by another empress, another consort to that emperor. Uh, and so the the Adiwada and the key clans become essentially disenfranchised from political power. Um, and so that that kind of marginal position, you know we were the way I like to think of it is we're kicked out of court, But we still are the exemplars of courtliness, of miyabi, uh, is kind of, at least according to one interpretation, part of what the Ise is about.
1: And as many later works were influenced by the tales of Ise, more and more imagination was added to this character, Narihira. I remember um, one article once said that Narihira was transformed, worshipped as a symbol or a god of love. So as time went by, we can find influences of Ise from other literary genres, which is discussed in part three of the book um, about Ise's impact on all plays. Right. Could you tell us more about this part?
0: Sure. Well, just b- before, it should be said that the... Textual evolution of the essay is very, very complicated, and went through at least three stages. We know there must have been some sort of Ur text by Narihira, who, as I said, died in 880. Uh, then it seems to have uh, undergone some more revisions and additions. This is the important thing, is that new stories get added around the time of the Gosenshu, so around 950, and then... Its final A influence, I think, is around the third imperial anthol, the the Shui-shu. By the third stage, the character of Narihira is almost becoming a caricature of itself. He's he's not just in the earlier sections; he's an Irogonomi, but he's his his true love is the Empress Takaiko, Uh and so it's kind of a situation where. He's set his sights on someone who's politically too high above him. But by the third iteration, you know, we're being told, oh, he'll sleep with anyone. That's just, he's just a great guy. And it doesn't matter how old or ugly you are. He's happy to go to bed with you. So that, that, that's within the essay itself. Um, we have two really wonderful essays um, on the influence or the use of uh, essay in uh, no theater by uh, and and uh, there uh, what's important is that is that no studies themselves underwent a big change in the early 70s under with the work of uh, Ito Masayoshi who showed that playwrights like Zenshiku were not basing their no plays on the essay itself but on esoteric commentaries uh, that had a kind of tantric uh, understanding of Narihira and his uh, bodhisattva task of bringing enlightenment to thousands of women through sex. Um, and uh, those, those texts, those uh, commentaries had only been published very early in 1969 by Katagiri Yoichi. so. Um, that's still kind of circling through. And as I said, we have, we have two essays, uh, but one by Oltani Setsuko and one by Susan Klein, whom you've uh, interviewed on this program, I guess we call it right. Uh, uh, for her, her new book on dancing the Dharma. So Susan did a, a very important first book on those medieval commentaries. And then she has just come up with, uh, uh, a book looking at them specifically in the context of of No, and we were fortunate enough that we had a kind of, she had a chapter that she couldn't fit into her book. Uh, That was the translation of a specific play, and so uh, we were able to put that in and are very happy with that.
1: Thank you for mentioning that episode. Um, Listeners, if you're interested, um, we had uh, back in, I think, this summer, Dr. Susan Klang did an episodes with uh, th- new books in Japanese studies as well. If you're interested, you can check that out. So back to uh, Dr. Mostow, we- you mentioned this concept, Irogonomi, which uh, from reading the book, I gather it's kind of an important concept or sort of a theme in this book. Could you sort of just unpack what this means? Sure. And how it's reflected throughout the book?
0: Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> without going too far back, uh, it, this is, uh, starts, again, c- coming out of China, the idea of fengliu, and and what's called Furu in Japanese, so a certain kind of elegance uh, that involves poetry, involves wine, uh, involves women, uh, and uh kind of though taking those chinese texts that i mentioned earlier that that are not i think you would say really part of the fundamental canon of chinese literature as it's thought of today all right the yu sen kutsu in fact disappears from china uh it doesn't didn't exist there it didn't it wasn't until i think the meiji period that that the chinese realized it was there um and New Songs of the Jade Terrace, uh, you know, is in contrast to the Wenshuan. So not considered really canonical. It's, it's love poetry and courtly stuff. And, you know, come on, that's not what we do if we're serious Confucian scholars. So uh, the, the Japanese chose what, you know, from a Chinese context, at least now, might look like idiosyncratic texts. And use those to construct this ideal of courtliness, elegance, poetry, and eroticism, all in kind of one package, that we call Irogonomi. Um, Which always uh, confuses my Chinese students because uh, the characters, when pronounced in Chinese, are hao and that apparently means something less elegant and courtly than what the japanese term means um, anyway so uh that as i said with the medieval commentaries uh that susan klein has done such great work on turns it, it is a turn um, is connected with tantrism and and uh, and the idea that the passions can and especially the sexual passions can be used for enlightenment rather than just being suppressed um but uh, what's interesting in uh, our volume is that the, the place that Yorogonomi plays is actually in uh, the commentaries of Sogi uh, and the, uh, his, the subsequent poets that studied with him in the uh, later Muromachi period where they actually want to deny the erotic aspects of the isei which is really a tall order when you think about it. I mean, here is a text that is supposed to be about romance, eroticism, and you have a bunch of scholars who are saying, yeah, 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 I know that's what it says, but it doesn't mean that. No, when they say that, yeah, well, that's what it normally means, but in this context, it doesn't mean that. Uh, The best example being um, the very first episode where the young man is hunting and he, he does a kaimami, he peeps through the fence at two women and sees them and falls in love. And one of the commentators says, "Well, you know, peeping is really not very elegant. Uh, so, so it can't mean that here. It must mean like, uh, oh, I know, no, he 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 saw them over the fence or or from a distance or through something, right?" Um, and th- there's a long history of this in in, in Issei interpretation. Uh, in the same first episode, the young man then sends a poem into the two women. And in our understanding of the episode, then the narrator comes in and says, oh, he wrote this poem, which is kind of like this other poem. And gosh, people were so elegant in those days. Well, that's not how. That episode was read for most of the history of Japanese literature. Most readers thought that it was impossible that two elegant, well-brought-up young women could receive a love poem, especially a love poem from Narihira, and not have a reply poem. And so that second poem was read as their response. Now, you have to do significant violence to the grammar of that episode to get that kind of reading out of it, but, but people did. And so in the same way, uh, Sogi and the Sanjonishi school worked very, very hard to, um, deny the eroticism that was inherent in the essay uh, to make it a, a kind of proper moralistic kind of text. And so while most of the essays, we'll talk about how the volume was put together, but, most of the essays are, are more recent. Um, the essay by uh, Aoki Shizuko that uh, we translate there is is really kind of the fundamental article on this subject uh, in Japanese and has, has influenced already a number of, of English language scholars. So I was very happy to get that uh, in, in, into English. Uh, and then that's where my chapter is, which is, Uh, the tale of Genji was written about a hundred years after the tales of Issei. And yet we often a number of times see medieval commentators, well commentators into the early modern period. So into the 17th century using the Genji to explain the Issei rather than vice versa. Um, So kind of anachronistically and, um, this uh, sometimes is is very useful because, you know, the situations that are portrayed in the Genji are so much more richly described that you can t- can take a very bare bones kind of episode as it's described in the essay and really kind of imagine and understand more what could be at stake when you compare it to a similar situation in the Genji. But in other cases, they are two very different, Moments in Japanese society, and anachronistically applying the the optics of the Genji onto the Issei leads to serious misreadings.
1: That is so fascinating. Apparently, commentary is such an important element in pre-modern Japanese literature, and um, I guess for these um, pre-modern scholars or pre-modern writers, they well they went ahead of Roland Bath and declared the author dead, That's and good. did whatever they like with the tale of Issa. <laughs> And I think it's really great that you devoted an entire part of the book, which is part four, to talk about all these commentaries on it by later people. So in the 17th, and uh, from the 17th to the 19th centuries, with the increase of literacy rates and the rise of commercial printing, The tales of Ise became more accessible to common readers in the form of woodblock printed books with illustrations sometimes. Now, what changes are there to the reading of Ise around this time? And how did Ise readers reimagine the stories after 600 years? Yeah,
0: thank you. Um, So, of course, uh, you know, in in an earlier book, Courtly Visions, I, I kind of ended up talking about this as a kind of appropriation, a cultural appropriation, that, that the Isei is part of court culture, and then during most of the medieval period, it's appropriated by the warrior class and has to be changed for their needs. And this is part of where Sogi fits in, because the, the ethics he's trying to impose on the Isei are essentially warrior ethics such as a woman has a, 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 a man has only one Lord and a woman has only one wife. Now in the Heian period, among the aristocracy, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But Sogi manages to get that into his interpretation of, of the Issei. Um, in the early modern period, of course, we have the explosion of, of print capitalism and suddenly uh, you know, two things happen. We, we often tend to talk about just, oh, and so the books were available for the price of a couple of bowls of noodles if you could buy a copy of this or you could buy a copy of that. But it wasn't only the texts themselves. Of course, it was those same commentaries, which were also previously secret, hidden or Kuden, uh, were now uh, also available for a price. So that, that, Combined with a kind of eventually the kind of Kokugaku revolution, uh, the philological one, meant anyone could gather together the commentaries and come up with an interpretation that they based on philological evidence rather than what the previous system had been, which was transmission. You know, this is the teaching I got from my teacher. And I know that's right, because his teacher was so-and-so, and his teacher was so-and-so, and all the way back to Prince somebody or other. Um, so, but uh, you know, uh the the big event in Issei reception in the Edo period is the 1608 Sagabon edition, which is illustrated, which is the earliest example of illustrated printed belles lettres in, in Japanese. Okay, so it's the first text. Of literature uh, that is printed and illustrated. Um, and as I argue in my earlier book, uh, Courtly Visions, the Saga bone really established the iconography for Ise Monogatari, uh, the f- f- number of episodes they chose and how those episodes would represent. And once you have an iconography, you can play with it. You can make parodies. You can make satires. And of course, that's a lot of what the subsequent history in the Edo period is of the reception of, of the Ise. Again, you had a Laura Moretti here earlier in a podcast talking about her uh, new book on print culture of the 17th century. And she discusses um, the reception of, of Ise Monogatari there we have a chapter i'm very happy that she wrote specifically for this volume on the the parodic reception of not the image of Narihira in 18th century kibyoshi um the other the other important thing though uh, as i alluded to earlier when i was talking about Ise as one of the big 3 of the essential canon is that the Ise becomes fairly early on very associated with jokunsho with textbooks for educational texts for, for women, girls, women. Um, and again, this is because <laughs> the Genji is just too long. The Genji is just too complicated to kind of fit it into or make it a standalone textbook. Whereas the Issei is just, just a great size. And you can have mo you can have a page where two thirds of the page is the Issei text. And then up above you can have commentary or you can have, How to do clothing, how to fold letters, how to lay out food or, you know, all kinds of things. So it becomes actually part of a a household encyclopedia or a, you know, homemaker's manual uh, that is part of uh, the trousseau of of middle class girls on their marriage.
1: That is absolutely fascinating. I love all these um, innovative things that early modern people did with their books. Um, we can learn so much just by reading their commentaries about how they actually lived or um, how, they, how they did things, how they talked about things. Absolutely. Now these chapters all together, they provide a very comprehensive understanding of how Isa came to be and how it was read over the years. I'm also very interested in the process of making this volume. So out of the 11 chapters, 8 were translated from Japanese, which comparing to a lot of other edited volumes in Japanese studies now, it's a very big number. So how did this project begin, and what kind of difficulties did you meet when compiling this volume?
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, when I start and say that the original impetus for the volume was an international workshop we did at UBC, in 2007, that will give you a sense of the difficulty involved with the volume. So, um, the workshop itself was a, a little unusual, um, in that, uh, we had a number of Japanese scholars attending, uh, the, the Lang, we were the language of the conference with both Japanese and English. Um, it, 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 was unusual in the sense that there were scholars who in Japan would not necessarily cooperate with each other. They were kind of different schools. So uh, for instance, we have, and, and in the volume, we have Takahashi Toru sensei, who is a member of monoken uh, But then we have Yamamoto Tokuro who sensei, who is, I think we can say not a member of Monoken. Um, and so uh, I think the Japanese participants also found it a very, you know, it was kind of outside of the usual. Um, and so, uh, the, the following year, uh, Yamamoto sensei and I edited uh, the Japanese volume. Um, and the idea was of course that then we would just turn around and do the English volume the next year. Um, there were a number of problems. Uh, you know, I, I was relatively young. This was my first attempt at this. And so, uh, you know, I had not not planned as well as probably I, I needed to. Um, so uh, finding translators and, and things like that was difficult. Um, and so time went on. And then at a certain point, uh, Yamamoto Sensei and I kind of reconvened, and in the interim, he had published two more kind of substantial rombunshu collections of essays on uh, isei, and so it seemed more reasonable to kind of pick from all three volumes, uh, and and so that's what we did. Um, I deferred a lot to Yamamoto Sensei on that. In other words, um, I thought it would be interesting to see what he thought were the most important of the essays in those three collections, or the essays he thought would be of interest to foreign readers, or that he thought foreign readers should know. Um, so there's, um, I think, a more a heavier emphasis on the historical background. Than one would expect in uh, uh, an analogous uh, English work, um, and and uh, yeah, I think I think uh, you know of course the the in a way the the gold standard for these sort of things are are anthologies that Haruo Shirane has put together, and they're very well done, and uh, and they are you know very much. Um, geared for, uh, let's say an undergraduate audience. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, there, and, and what I was after was a little different in the sense that we don't see so much Japanese scholarship translated. Uh, there, there was a time when that was kind of part of the field, the journal of Japanese studies or whoever would, you know, every now and then have a proper, Japanese article translated into English. Um, but you know, often people just kind of throw up their hands and say, Oh, it can't be done. Or you have to add so much, or you have to adapt so much. Um, you know, and it may be that I just, I don't, <laughs> I see so much of it now that I don't remember what it looks like if you're not a specialist. Um, uh, but I think the majority of these chapters uh, are comprehensible in English and uh, that readers can make sense of them. Uh, and I think readers then get a an understanding of the methodologies of Japanese scholarship that they will not get anywhere else. I mean, we have some real tour de force in some of these, where, you know, the wonderful article by Fujishima-san that, you know, is looking at the image of the well curb and the Polonia tree and goes all the way back to China and does, you know, it, it's, it is a tour de force, you know, and, and uh, so are a couple of the other ones, whereas uh, those are joined with like the essay by uh, Imanishi Yuichiro sensei, which is much shorter and just enormously clever. It's, it's a thought piece um, and something he does very, very well. So I think there's a, a range of methodologies on display that, and those are methodologies that I don't think, uh, you know, non-Japanese reading public uh, gets gets access to.
1: Well, I'm so glad you you all overcome all these difficulties and got together to put up this volume, a, a very very inclusive volume. It's nice that. Now, more and more Japanese scholars are becoming active in joining these projects that's mostly um, hosted in North America or Europe. Now, you have been in this field of Japanese studies for a very long time. Um, what changes in the, in the field in, in, in terms of scholarly participation have you seen? And how do you think we can do better in the future?
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks for saying a very long time, but I suppose that's true. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh when I was starting out a very long time ago, uh everyone was talking about Ka and oh, it's all going to be internationalizing and blah, 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 blah. And that didn't really happen. Uh, but I think things are are very, very different now for a number of reasons, some good, some bad. Um, so I think it is true that we have active collaboration with uh, Japanese and non-Japanese scholars more fully now. I mean, you know, the the bad old model, even before my time, was the American scholar who goes and gets a Fulbright for dissertation research, uh, manages to get the attention of some erai sensei who, under normal stanc- circumstances, wouldn't give them the time of day, and. Uh, then, you know, kind of gets all that information, comes back to the U.S., publishes their dissertation, publishes their tenure book, and there's very little communication between what's happening in North America and what's happening in Japan. Uh, partly because, you know, to be honest, Japanese scholars of a certain generation really couldn't care less what foreigners think about Japanese literature, right? Um, so that has changed somewhat. Uh, you know, of course, we have Nietzsche uh, which has always tried to be well. I mean, international is in its name, so um, that's been there. But now the uh, Koks, uh, the uh, Institute for uh, Japanese, the National Institute for Japanese Literature, Kokugaku Kenkyusho has uh, non-Japanese professors on staff. They're trying more and more to uh, engage uh, internationally. Uh, we had in the past, of course, uh, Sofia University, which is home of Monumenta Nipponica, um, and, um, teaching, uh, a whole cadre of students in English. But now we have also Waseda University, which is very, very, uh, involved in a kind of international coming together. Uh, and that's kind of exemplified by, uh, Kono Kimiko and uh, Vipika Deneka's, uh history of uh, Japanese literature, three volumes, um, you know, Nihon Bungakushi, uh, that is kind of trying to bring the cinegraphic uh, back into Japanese literature to kind of correct this 19th century nationalist uh, definition of Japanese literature as being only stuff that's written in the Japanese language. Um, and, and you know, we get then, for instance, my colleague uh, uh, Ross King and Christina Laffin have just uh, edited a translation of Saito Marishi's Kanbunyaku uh, um, no Kindai Nihonbungaku. So again, that kind of Chinese element um, that is being reintroduced. So, I think um, in Japan, uh, for demographic reasons, more and more classes are being taught in English. Uh, and those, the students of those classes are not just Japanese, but also other international students. I think um, that uh, we have more kind of fully bilingually trained scholars uh, or trilingually or quadrilingually. Um, and you know, if just looking at, at the University of British Columbia, the graduate students we have right now, just in, uh, studying Japanese literature, uh, come from Canada, the U S China, India, Spain, Turkey, and of course, Japan. So, um, I really do think that, um, there's a move away from national literatures to more trans Pan-Asian or trans-Asian, um, which I think will continue. Um, we'll see, though, because there is also contravailing forces, right? We have certain incipient nationalisms that one sees in, in Brexit or, uh, you know, and then now there's the pandemic um so you know again on one hand there seems to be less freedom of motion movement and then on the other hand precisely because of the pandemic uh we now are much more comfortable doing things like this virtual things um so i think i think it's a a very exciting future and i think it's going to look very different than the the uh field i grew up in and uh i'm very happy to leave it to younger scholars to forge their way.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. It's um, it's quite inspiring to see volumes like this one uh, being so inclusive. And I certainly look forward to more like this in the future. Now, thank you so much for this uh, very il- illuminating conversation.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: And for our listeners to learn more about the tale of Ise, check out this book by edited by Dr. Joshua Mosto an isemonogatari reader contexts and receptions this is Yi from new books in japanese studies stay tuned for another episode